Our text for the preaching of God's Word this afternoon is the Word of God as we have summarized it in our Heidelberg Catechism of Lord's Day 3. And so we'll read Lord's Day 3 together. You could find that on page 519 in the Book of Praise. And so the church confesses in Lord's Day 3, Did God then create man so wicked and perverse? No, on the contrary, God created man good and in his image, that is, in true righteousness and holiness, so that he might rightly know God his creator, heartily love him, and live with him in eternal blessedness to praise and glorify him. From where then did man's depraved nature come from? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve in paradise. For there our nature became so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? Yes, unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. Brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, how would you feel if someone came to you this afternoon and told you that you were a bad person? How would you feel if they even got specific with you and told you that you were a lying thief and perhaps even an adulterer in your heart? Well, there's actually a well-known Christian apologist who goes around and he does exactly that. Maybe some of you have seen his videos online. His name is Ray Comfort. But the trick is, he doesn't just flat out tell people that they're sinners. He gets people to admit it themselves. And so just ask yourself these questions, brothers and sisters. And boys and girls, you can ask them too. Have you ever told a lie? Or have you ever stolen something? Or have you ever looked at another man or another woman with lust in your heart? Well, if you answered yes to any of these questions, then guess what? You're a liar. You're a thief. You're an adulterer in your heart. And as God's word teaches us, no such person is able to enter the kingdom of God. Now, that's, of course, a very difficult pill for us to swallow. But as we'll see this afternoon, and as our catechism confesses, this is, in fact, the truth. We are corrupt people. We are born in sin, and in ourselves we are unable to do any good, and we're inclined to all evil. But as we're going to see also this afternoon, this truth is really only half the story. God, he does not leave us in this sorry state, in this condition of depravity, of corruption and sin. Rather, God comes to us and he extends his grace to us. And he works mightily in us with his Holy Spirit so that we are able to overcome this wickedness which we have. And so I preach to you the gospel this afternoon under the following theme. Our depravity is no match for the grace of God. We'll see three points. First, grace is revealed. Secondly, grace is rejected. And finally, grace regenerates. So first, grace is revealed. Having confessed in Lord's Day 2 that we are inclined by nature to hate both God and our neighbor, the question which follows is then, well, did God create us this way 
Did God create man with such a wicked and a perverse nature? A nature which deliberately and which stubbornly resists the holy will of God? Well, the answer which Scripture gives us is an emphatic no. In fact, Scripture tells us that the exact opposite is true. We read this in Genesis chapter 1. There we saw that God, when he created man, man was created in his own image. In verse 27, God himself says, So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And being made in the image of God, this was a special distinction which was reserved only for man. Now, no doubt, the rest of creation and what we see all around us today as well, this too is a magnificent revelation of his power and also his creative genius. So much so that we might even at times ask with David in Psalm 8, Lord God, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you even care for him? When, when compared to the vast universe, we can seem so small and so insignificant. And yet, we confess with the word of God that God made man only a little bit lower than the heavenly beings, and he in fact crowned him with glory and with honor. And having been made in his image, God goes on and he fills us with true righteousness and holiness, and he gives mankind dominion over all of his creation. And it's with this righteousness, it's with this holiness which he creates us with that we are able to exercise dominion over the creation which God has made, exactly in accordance with the will of God and with his desire. God made us in his image so that we could be that perfect representative of him on this earth. And now we need to pause for a moment here and ask ourselves a question why did God do this? Why did God create man, create man in his own image and, and give him dominion over all creation? Boys and girls, do you think that perhaps God needed a little bit of help to govern the creation which he had just made? Were there perhaps too many new plants and animals that he wasn't able to care for them all on his own? Well, that's a bit of a silly question, isn't it? Of course not. God, as the almighty and all-knowing God, of course he's able to take care of his whole creation. And yet, in this great act of grace, God creates humanity. God creates you. He creates me. And he gives to us lowly creatures that we are. He gives us glory and honor, even making us in his own image. And he gives us dominion over all the creation that he had made on the face of the earth. And so what had we done to deserve this place of glory and honor? Well, we hadn't done anything, of course, brothers and sisters. Creating us, giving us dominion over his creation was an act of pure grace on the part of God. But God doesn't stop there. Having made mankind in his image, having given them dominion over all of his creation, he then comes to us. He comes to his new creation to humanity, he enters into a loving relationship with the people that he had made. God created mankind in his image. He created us in his image as well so that we might rightly know God, our creator, 
so that we might heartily love Him and also so that we might live with God in eternal blessedness. And these words which we also find in our catechism, knowing and loving and living, these sorts of words, they speak of that relationship. And if any of you are in a relationship, whether that's with a sibling or a friend or with your spouse, then you'll understand what these words are getting at. As time goes on and you spend more time with this person, you start to know this person better. The love that you have for your wife, it will grow deeper. And that commitment that you have with your husband, it lasts for a lifetime. And it's this sort of relationship, this sort of loving and living and knowing relationship, which God himself establishes with mankind. It's an intimate relationship where we grow in knowledge and love for our Creator. And as we grow in this knowledge, we come to to realize more and more His power, His greatness, and this leads us to praise and glorify Him, just as we sang in, in Psalm 8 this afternoon. And so we can ask ourselves the same question again. Why did God do this? Why did He first create us, but now enter into this relationship of of love with us. You know, boys and girls, do you think that God was unhappy on his own? Did he need our friendship? Was God's glory somehow lacking that he needed creatures to, to praise and glorify him and then somehow fill him up? Well, of course not. God did not enter into this relationship with us because he was lacking in anything. He entered into this relationship with us, his creation, because of his great grace. In his grace, he brings us into this close fellowship with him. He brings us lowly creatures created only from the dust of the earth. He raises us up, brings us into his presence, into fellowship with him, our glorious creator. And when we reflect on on this grace of God, What better response can we bring to him this afternoon than the response that we brought with David in Psalm 8, that psalm that both begins and ends in the praise of God. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So we come to our second point, grace is rejected. So if it's true, and we know it is true, it's what the Word of God tells us, if it's true that in His great grace, God created us in this wonderful way, with such a wonderful purpose, then where did this depraved nature that we have come from? Why is it that we can so easily be labeled as a a liar or a thief or an adulterer at heart? Boys and girls, why is it so much easier for us to to hit our brother and sister instead of perhaps embracing them in a hug? Or why do we want to disobey our parents instead of listening to their wisdom? Where did this corruption inside of us come from? Well, once again, we turn to scriptures and there we find the answer. This corruption, it came from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve in paradise. We know that there our nature became so corrupt that we're all even conceived and born in sin. It's because of the sin of Adam and Eve that we now are born as sinners. 
We commit sins even before we can walk or talk. And as a result, all of us, every last one of us, even the newest born baby in our midst, we deserve death as a punishment for this. As David says in Psalm 51, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And as we read through Romans 5, Paul was making the same point there as well. If you have your Bibles, turn with me again to Romans chapter 5. Paul makes the same point clear, this point about Adam and Eve bringing sin into our life as well. If we look at verse 12 there, it says, Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And if we look ahead to verse 15, the same thing is said. Many die through one man's trespass. Verse 16, the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. We see the same thing, verse 17 and 18. And finally, verse 19, again it says, By one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. And so also in the passage before us this afternoon, the point is clear. Because of Adam and Eve's disobedience, we all have become sinners. We all deserve condemnation and even death, even from the moment of our conception. And boys and girls, do you know what what two words we use to describe this, this state of mankind? Those two words are original sin. Original sin. This is a bit of a difficult concept to understand, this idea of original sin. We might ask, why are we held responsible for something which Adam and Eve did thousands of years ago in a place that we don't even know? Are we really just as guilty as they? Can we really be held responsible for something which they did? Well, to understand original sin, it helps if we think past the actual sin which Adam and Eve committed to the consequences of that sin. Because of Adam and Eve's fall and disobedience, our nature became so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. Even though we weren't physically in the garden with them, and even though we were not yet born, the human nature that we are all born with, that was there in the garden with Adam and Eve. And it's that human nature which became corrupt. When Adam and Eve took the fruit from the tree, when they ate it, their minds became darkened, their hearts became hardened. No longer did they possess that true righteousness, the true holiness which God had created them with. And so original sin, it's a lack of the original righteousness. It's a lack of the original holiness which God had created us with. It's this corruption of our entire nature so that our every inclination is only evil all the time. As God declared to Noah, even after he had sent the flood and wiped out all the wickedness, God still says the intention of man's heart, it's evil from his youth. That's Genesis 8, verse 21. And to help us a little more this afternoon, the Belgic Confession also gives us an explanation of what we confess with original sin. So if you have your book of praise with you, I invite you again to turn to the Belgic Confession, Article 15. That's on page 505 in the book of praise. 
The art title of this article is Original Sin, and here's what we confess as a church. We believe that by the disobedience of Adam, original sin has spread throughout the whole human race. It is a corruption of the entire nature of man and a hereditary evil which infects even infants in their mother's womb. As a root, it produces in man all sorts of sin. It is therefore so vile and abominable in the sight of God that it is sufficient to condemn the human race. And if our roots are rotten, brothers and sisters, of course, we cannot produce any good fruit in our lives. We cannot produce the fruit of, of righteousness. This is what Jesus himself teaches us in Luke 6, verse 43. And so it's true, we weren't there in person when Adam and Eve ate from the tree, but nevertheless, we share in their guilt. Original sin, it's this hereditary evil. It's a part of us. It's a part of our human nature. It spreads from them to us, and now we find ourselves sinning according to the same ways that they sinned in the garden. Just think about the sin which Adam and Eve committed those many years ago and see if you can find perhaps some, some parallels in your own life. <clears throat> Eating the fruit, that involved a direct disobedience to the command which God had given them. Eating this fruit, it involved displeasure, it involved ingratitude to the blessed life which God had given to them and also the relationship which he had extended to them. It involved ultimately unbelief in the word of God itself brought on by those evil questions by the devil. And eating the fruit, it also involved pride. Pride, they were unhappy with their original position being a created creature. They wanted to be like the creator. And so we ask ourselves, do we see these same inclinations in our own hearts and lives today? Well, yes, we do. Whenever we sin, we too were disobeying the law of God that perfect law which God gave us for our flourishing. When we sin, we're telling God, you know, we're not happy with this gracious relationship which you've extended to us. We're showing God we don't believe in everything that he's written in his word. And in our pride, we, we try to push God aside since we think we know better than him how our lives should run, better than him how we should be living. So we weren't there, but can't you see that the nature was there, that nature that was corrupted when Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the garden? And we really aren't any better than Adam and Eve. Nothing that we do is done with a heart completely in obedience to God's will. Nothing that we do is truly good in the eyes of God. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned, every single one of us, to our own way. And yet, brothers and sisters, God, he does not leave us in this situation. The gospel comes to us this afternoon, declares to us that even though we've rejected God, even though our nature is so corrupt, even though we sin, even though we really are totally depraved, our depravity is no match for the grace of God. And this brings us to our third point, grace regenerates. 
Just as God had extended his grace to Adam and Eve when he first created them, brought him into fellowship with them, so now again God, he extends his abundant grace to us, not in the form of creation, but in the form of recreation or regeneration. Yes, we confess with our catechism that we are totally depraved. We are unable to do any good unless, unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God, unless God comes to us completely of his own gracious free will and works in us with his Holy Spirit, works in us to enlighten our darkened minds, to to soften our hardened hearts so that we might once again be received into this relationship which he had created us with and be able to live with God in blessedness once again. And it's this gracious gift of of regeneration by his Holy Spirit which is only possible through the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Just as sin and death entered this world through one man, Adam, so now through the second Adam, our Lord Jesus Christ, God has brought to us justification. He has brought righteousness. He has brought life. And this is all a free gift. It's a gift from his generous and abundant grace. And so, if you still have your Bibles with you, turn once more to Romans chapter 5. And note this time how much emphasis the Spirit of God gives to the grace of God and the free gift to us. Look again in verse 15. There it says, But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of the, of the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And again in verse 16, The free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more. Or pardon me, that's still verse 15. Verse 16 The judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Verse 17 says it again. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. And if you read on verse 20 and 21, they say the same thing. Grace abounds. It It reigns through righteousness and it brings eternal life. And so God, in this this abounding, in this reigning grace, by the powerful working of the Holy Spirit, He regenerates us. He takes our darkened minds and our our hardened hearts and he, He turns them, He enlightens them and softens them so that we might believe in our Lord Jesus Christ, might believe in His saving work for us and receive this free gift of justification, free gift of of righteousness and eternal life. And for all of us who are members of God's covenant, we can be assured that this Holy Spirit is at work in us as well. In Ezekiel 36, the verses 25 and 26, there's that well-known promise that God gives to his covenant people. He says there, I will sprinkle you with clean water and I will remove your heart of stone. I will replace it with a heart of flesh and I will cause my Holy Spirit to dwell within you. And this promise which he gives to us 
his covenant people, it's further confirmed through baptism. Just as it says in Ezekiel that he'll sprinkle us with clean water, so now if we look in Titus 3 verse 5, there God calls baptism the regeneration, the washing of regeneration. In baptism, God promises to dwell in us with his Holy Spirit. He promises to work this regeneration in us, to cleanse us from our sins and to also work renewal in our lives. And it's the same truth which Paul continues in Romans chapter 6, right after the passage we read. In Romans 6, verse 1 through 4, the Holy Spirit tells us, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so, brothers and sisters, we've seen the depravity of our nature. We've seen how corrupt, how sinful we are. But the question is, should we just accept this fact? Should we accept the fact that we're corrupt, that we're sinful, and should we just go on sinning? Well, by no means. Through baptism, we were buried with Christ. Our sinful nature was also buried with him, so that now we can walk in newness of life. God has come to us. He's overcome our depravity through his great grace. And now he also works in us with his Holy Spirit so that we can once again begin to live as he created us, to live in that true righteousness and holiness, to live in that knowing, that loving, that eternally blessed relationship with him where we can praise him for his glory to us. And so as we go our way this week, brothers and sisters, we should not shy away from this ugly truth of our depravity and sin. We should acknowledge that, yes, we have inherited this sinful nature from our first parents, Adam and Eve. Yes, we are so corrupt that in ourselves we're, we're conceived and born in sin, so corrupt we're totally inclined to all evil. But having acknowledged this, brothers and sisters, remember that our depravity, it is no match for the grace of God. Believe that God is working mightily in you with his Holy Spirit to restore his image in you, to transform you more and more into his image from one degree of glory and to another. And don't just depend on this grace, but also act upon it. Walk in this newness of life. Strive towards this righteousness, this holiness, which empowers us to obey God's commands and to walk according to his will. This righteousness and holiness from God, which allows us to more fully know God, to love him and also to walk with him in blessedness, not only now, but also for eternity. A righteousness and a holiness which we will praise our heavenly God and Father forever. The Spirit of the living God is working in us. He's regenerating us after the image of God. And it's giving us the power to leave our depravity behind and to walk again in the glorious grace of God. Amen.
We'll sing in response, standing from hymn 28, stanzas 1, 2, or pardon me, stanzas 2, 3, 5, and 7. 